Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Um, we're reading this morning from Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 to 11 in the New Interna- International Version. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their life. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone else in in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone else in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun." Good morning, church. Ah, my faithful stool. Still on the old crutch. Well, what a Bible reading, hey? Have you ever heard that one preached? Um, it was a bit, um, uh, when I gave it to Don Smallbone to read up at Taramara during the week, he was like, oh, Andrew, it's a bit gloomy. <laughs> it's a little gloomy. Can't we find something a little bit more positive? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Don, we'll, we'll get there, hopefully, in the message. Um, but it's an interesting passage, isn't it? Um, with, with King Solomon, uh, who is you know, the wisest man in the world, um, coming to the conclusion that all is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I remember as a young guy um, doing the Saturday morning chase. I don't know whether you got lured into the Saturday morning chase, but... Um, I grew up a pretty keen surfer, and a, a bunch of my, my friends and I on a Saturday morning, uh, once we got our licences, would, uh, would pile in to, uh, I had a 1969 combi, uh, fire engine red, and the door, sliding door used to fall off more times than it would stay on when someone jumped in, uh, but we'd, we'd all pile in, and we'd go to uh, the Amadeville Road, and we'd, the first beach we'd go to was, was Warrawood. And we'd check the surf at Warrywood. And we'd look at it and we'd like, um and ah. And it's like, well, I wonder what it's like at Monavale. And then we'd jump in and we'd go to the next beach at Monavale and check it. And often Monavale wasn't often that good. So then we thought, oh, let's go to, let's go to Bungan, the next one up, because that's often a bit better. So we'd go to Bungan and look out from, the, you know, from up high. And, um, and it's like, well, the wind's getting a bit into it there. And, oh, look, we'll just, we'll just try... The next, the next one further north, which is Newport. So then we'd go up into Newport, and sure enough, Newport Peak could be just beautiful little A-frame, uh, but then there'd be tons of people out. So we're like, oh, um, let's, let's just try um, 
Oh, let me think now. Um, I think it was Bill Gola was the next one north. So we'd go to Bill Gola, and often Bill Gola was just a big closeout. So we'd go to the next one, which is Avalon, and we'd check out South Avalon often would be quite good, but again, too many people out. So it's like, well, let's go to Whale Beach. Then you get <laughs> the Saturday morning chase, you know, the chasing the perfect wave, right? It's always just around the corner. So then we'd go up to Avalon, and, and, uh, and often that was pretty crowded. Then we'd go to Whale Beach, um, and Whale Beach was sometimes where we ended up, but, but then we maybe would say, well, maybe... Maybe it's, maybe it's a little better at, at, at Palmy. Maybe the, 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 uh, the little wave on the, on the south end is just peeling. You know, we go to Palm Beach and then we get up there and it's like we'll look at each other and think, maybe it was better at Warrywood. <laughs> you know, and then you, you drive half an hour south and you get there, by that time the wind's blown into it and it's like, let's just get some hot chips and sit in the beach. <laughs> uh, the Saturday morning chase, you know, lured, lured by maybe the perfect wave and going from one, one beach to the next. Uh, anyone, anyone relate to that journey? As a, uh, you can see why I switched to kayaking, right? Because um, on a Saturday morning I can just jump in and paddle and it doesn't matter what it's like. Um, but that sense of being on the chase I think is something that's almost intrinsic in us as human beings. That, that desire to, 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 to find something that will satisfy. Now what will satisfy? And the, the marketers love Love to tap into that, right? Um, they, want to find, they want to try and sell you something or an experience that's going to finally satisfy. But the, the thing is, you know, um, we read from, from Solomon. Uh, here is a guy who, if, um, if anyone's tested this theory out, it's Solomon, right? If, if we can find happiness, fulfilment, a sense of meaning and purpose in life, from the things of this world, then, then Solomon's got to be almost the, the best test case we can find, right? I mean, he was the, the wealthiest man in the land. I mean, he, he built castles and he built houses by the sea and he had a holiday house in Colorado, I think, as well, you know, in the snow. And, and he had the latest Lexus and even got into the Teslas before they were even invented. Um, you know, he had the fastest cars, he had the fastest women. Well, he had a lot of women. Uh, what did he have? 700 wives, 300 concubines. Oh, man, I feel a headache coming on. <laughs> um, you know, he didn't, what did he say? He, he didn't deny himself anything, any pleasures. He, he was the wealthiest. He had everything that he could go for. He could, he could purchase anything, um, and yet we find him saying these profound words in Ecclesiastes 2.17. So I hated life. Imagine saying that. He had everything. Because the work that he's done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Then in Ecclesiastes 4, and I saw that all labour and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbour. Isn't that an interesting one? How much does envy drive our economy, I wonder? This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Do you think there's truth in what Solomon is saying here thousands of years ago? Is there any resonance with what he's saying with our world today in 2019? 
See, Solomon likens seeking meaning and fulfilment from the things of this world with chasing after the wind. That's how he describes it. You may have, you may have heard that saying. Now you just try and chase wind. <laughs> do, you, do you ever catch it? Do you ever, do you ever get there? Or is it, does it always like slip through your fingers? You know, it's, it's elusive. You know, Solomon is saying something really profound here about life and about the, the, the biggest questions of life. Where do I find purpose? Where do I find meaning? Where do I find fulfilment? And he's saying that when we look to the things of this world to try and find that, it's like chasing the wind. You, you think you're going to get there. It's just around the next corner, just, you know, just around the next bend, just the next beach. <laughs> but you never quite get there. It just, it's elusive. It just slips through your fingers. And how many people in our world are living their life simply chasing the wind? Seeking to find fulfilment and purpose and meaning, not from the eternal, but from those things that are temporal. Those things that Solomon had, had in bucket loads. And no one's going to get further down that road than Solomon. So if you're on that journey, just look ahead. Solomon's right at the end. And he's saying, hey, it's all meaningless. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Could you imagine living that way? You know, you win 40 million in lotto. What was that guy in America? What did he win? Like a billion or something? Or some ridiculous amount in lotto, some lottery these, uh, recently. So imagine if, if today you won that lotto, you won a billion dollars. You could deny yourself any, you, you, could, you could say, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Everything that you desired, you could just have. What would that do for your soul? Would you find meaning? Would you find a sense of fulfillment? Joy, deep, deep joy, not just external pleasure, just joy. Really? I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. I think these are sobering words for us today. I think these are sobering words for our world today. In a world where our economy is driving um, this desire for more and the latest. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. <laughs> it's it's whether we seek our sense of value and meaning and fulfilment from those things. And on this journey that Solomon has gone, we can learn something really valuable. And the earlier we learn this in life, the better. So how can we live our life so we're not chasing after the wind? How can we make sure that we get to the end of our life and we don't say, Meaningless, meaningless. It was all a chasing after the wind. 
One of my heroes of the faith, of the faith is a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he wrote these words. Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless and the infinite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so valued. You see, Dietrich was an amazing young man. I mean, he earned his doctorate in his early 20s and was a pastor and and started a theological college in Germany, training Christian pastors. He stood up against Hitler back in like 1933. In fact, he was on a radio program um, uh, preaching, uh, really, and, and telling people to, to, to be careful uh, uh, with Hitler because he was setting himself up to be a demigod. And he was speaking against Hitler and his radio program was cut, you know, and he was, he was a marked man. And he, went, he ended up going to America in the late 30s and he was studying over there and he could have, or in his mid-30s, sorry, in his mid-30s, in the late 30s. <laughs> um, and he, he could have gone and taught at Harvard, yeah, anywhere. But in 1939, he saw what was happening back home with Hitler gaining steam, starting a war. He started seeing his brothers and sisters, his, you know, his fellow Christians being persecuted. And he was like, I'm going to go back. There was like one last ship that was going back to the continent and he was on it. And, and his mates in America were saying, what are you doing? It's craziness going back to Germany. You're going to be imprisoned. You're a marked man. You're, going to go, you, you're not going to survive this. And he goes, this is my calling, to go back and to stand with my brothers and sisters and to, and to encourage the faith. Um, of those that are there. See, it seems seemingly Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless. Why, why would you do? See, the kingdom of God makes you do things that seem worthless. But he went, and he and he, you know, in the crucible of of the, of the Second World War and under persecution, he wrote the most profound book called "The Cost of Discipleship." which shaped discipleship ever since. And another book called, um, um, oh, it's about community. It's called something, Life Together, the most incredible book about Christian community. And you know, we, wouldn't have that, we wouldn't have had that if he hadn't gone back. You see, Bonhoeffer teaches us that there is something that is much deeper that we can live for than just the external. He teaches us that those things that our world sees as worthless are actually the most valuable. You see, what I'd like to offer you this morning is an alternative to chasing the wind. And the alternative that I'd like to offer you is to chase the kingdom. Chase the kingdom. What does it look like to chase the kingdom instead of chasing the wind? I think Bonhoeffer, for me, is an incredible example of someone who went right out there in chasing the kingdom, putting his own life on the line. And in fact, two weeks prior to the end of the Second World War, if you don't know the story, Hitler knew everything was going down and he was getting ready to commit suicide himself and he ordered 
that, that, that Bonhoeffer be, be killed in the concentration camp. He died two weeks prior to the end of the Second World War. He gave his life for the kingdom. And I'm not saying we all need to be Bonhoeffers. You know, the great thing about the kingdom of God is that God has unique calling for each one of us. Each one of us. And chasing the kingdom will look differently for all of us. There's no cookie cutter here. It's all unique. And you know, if you're here this morning and you've never heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you may have heard of someone else called Mother Teresa. She's pretty well known too. And another great example of someone who just chases the kingdom. This is what it sounds like when you chase the kingdom. She writes, let's concentrate on a worthwhile goal, that no child be unwanted, that no person go unloved. And let's not stop smiling at whomever we meet, especially when it's hard to smile. That's what it looks like for, for Mother Teresa to, to chase the kingdom. She worked amongst the poorest of the poor, as we know, in Calcutta. Now I began asking some of these questions pretty early on in life, I reckon. I was a bit of a strange kid in my late teens. But no, I always had a sense that life has got to mean something. There, there needs to be more than just what's around me. I, I guess I lived in a pretty privileged upbringing in, in Taramara. You know, we had the pool and the tennis court and, and the, the ski holidays. Um, and I guess I had a little taste of, if you like, the good life. And I was like, is this, is it just more of this? Is it, do I just, do I just go into business like my dad did? And do I just, you know, pursue uh, a life where I can just keep climbing the corporate ladder uh, and follow him in, in his sort of career. Is that what life... And look, there's nothing wrong with that career if that's your calling and that's where um, you're chasing the kingdom. And I'll get to that in a minute. But for me at that time, my big questions were around, well, how can I, how can I make my life count eternally? And I remember... Um, 1989, I was asking these questions and I, uh, I, I ended up going to a short-term Bible college. It was like a six-month course at a Bible college called Cape and Ray in Mossvale. Anyone ever heard of Cape and Ray? Yeah, a few hands. Um, it's a beautiful little Bible college. Um, as a sort of a way of just helping me to just go a little deeper in my faith and work out what, where I was going to go in life. I was about 20 years of age. And on one of those days... Um, we had a quiet day where we sat in a paddock with a blanket and a bottle of water and a Bible and a journal just to hear from God. That was the whole aim of the day. And, and on that day, you know, sometimes when you read God's word, you come across a verse that's literally just been written for you. You're sure that no one else on the planet has ever, written, has ever read this verse because otherwise their lives would be radically changed forever. Um, and it was 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight for me. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. That was, that was God's answer to the question for me. And so I just wanted to give myself to whatever it would mean for me to give myself to the work of the Lord. I knew that I didn't want to live a meaningless life. And I have no doubt that every one of you here today don't want to live a meaningless life. You're actually here this morning because... You want to lean into meaning and purpose and fulfilment and a sense of making your life count for the kingdom. That's, that's, that's my assumption. And so living into um, this opportunity to labour 
and give ourselves to, to God's kingdom. You know, chasing the kingdom for me is exciting because you never know where the chase is going to end. But what you're chasing is the desire to see God's kingdom come and God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And that means we need people in all sorts of spheres of influence, in all sorts of places, bringing the kingdom of God. You see, Paul teaches us that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me just lay down a bit of a theology of, 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 of the, the, the foundation for the way that we serve the kingdom. Right? We, we are all um, God's workmanship and we are given good works. And what I see in that is that we are given a purpose. We are given a calling as a part of chasing the kingdom. And, and, and the uniqueness that each one of us bring to the kingdom has already been determined. Isn't that wonderful? They are prepared in advance. Your uniqueness, God has, God has knitted together in your mother's womb. And there is a way that you can chase the kingdom and serve the kingdom that no one else can. There's a uniqueness and there's a calling. And, and this is full of meaning and purpose. In Ephesians, he goes on and says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Again, you know, we are here this morning as, as the church. This is... This is this is the place from which we, you know, we serve the world. As pastors and teachers, we're here to, to equip each one of you so that you can discover your calling and, and your place so that you can be released to chase the kingdom and see God's kingdom come and his will be done in your world. So what does it look like for us to chase the kingdom? That's a really good question. If, 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 if seeking fulfilment and meaning and purpose from the things of this world, if that's chasing the wind, right? if chasing the wind is basically following our own heart's desires, doing whatever what we want to do, serving our desires, our ego, our ambition, if that's chasing the wind and you've already worked out that that's probably going to be meaningless doing that, then what's the opposite of that? Well, I would surmise that it's chasing the kingdom. It's chasing that which is eternal. It's chasing that which gives life incredible sense of meaning and purpose and fulfilment. And it's giving ourselves to seeing the kingdom of God come here amongst us. So what does that look like for each one of us? Maybe I'll give a few examples. Just from friends. I've got a, I've got a friend called Brad. And uh, Brad's a vet and uh, owns a, a, a vet clinic up on the Central Coast and, you know, loves being a vet and uh, you get him talking about animals and, you know, he, he knows his animals, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that that's not his calling. You see, because there's a part of the week that when you get him talking about it, he gets really excited. 
He's excited about dogs and cats, but man, you get him talking about Tuesday mornings. For the last 25 years, something like that, every Tuesday morning he goes to Erina Heights Public School and for two hours teaches scripture to primary school kids. And you get Brad talking about, how, Brad, how scripture going? Oh, last Tuesday was amazing. I was telling this story and I got this video and he'll go right into it. You know, and I say, how's, how's, how's work going? Oh, good. <laughs> you know, you can just see there's a, there's a depth of meaning and significance and purpose behind this two hours that he gets every week to go and teach kids scripture. See, that's where I see Brad chasing the kingdom. I've got another mate, Steve, one of my best mates, who's a, who's a doctor. And um, he ended up specialising in drug and alcohol. And because he, had a, he has just a real heart for, for those who live uh, in the streets. And when Steve and I go walking in Gosford, it takes like an hour to get from one end to the other end of Gosford because he basically stops and talks to every street person, everyone in the gutter, because he, he knows them all. He knows all the druggies. And he, he actually loves them all. You know, we go kayaking together and often he'll get a phone call. He's not even on call, but they just call him. He gives them his number. It's just there's a depth of, of love and ministry that he has with those who are, uh, are broken with drug and alcohol addiction on the Central Coast that goes, goes beyond just a job, you see. See, I, I see him chasing the kingdom, seeking to, seeking to live out a meaning and significance and a kingdom purpose in his work. Then there's George. My mate George, if you ever want to learn how to go fishing, you go with George because he's an incredible fisherman. But you see, George is the bus driver. He drives for busways. Steers the bus all day, 40 hours a week, drives the bus. But you know what? You talk to George about what his work's like. He goes, oh, I had a fantastic day. And uh, he, he's the most excited bus driver I've ever met. Because see, he, he actually treats his bus. He goes, it's my sanctuary. Everyone that comes onto my bus, you know, is, 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 a part of my, is part of my church. You know, and he knows them all by name. They all love George and George loves them. And he's just an amazing guy who just lives the kingdom, chases the kingdom, just driving a bus. Then there's young mums who are at home raising three kids under five years old in the mess and the busyness of, of raising the next generation who are chasing the kingdom by, by choosing to maybe to live, some of them you know, choose to live a simpler lifestyle. They haven't upgraded the house or the car, but you know what? They've just chosen to just give themselves to, to raising a young family. Incredible way to chase the kingdom. You know, there's a myriad. That, take Dave Solomon, my goodness sake. How many people, how many people of his generation were saying, what are you doing, Dave? Why aren't you, why aren't you off, you know, gallivanting around the country in a caravan, you know, being a great nomad? Why are you going down a crow's nest and Taramara fixing stuff all the time? Like all the, this week, I think you had all week at Taramara putting up a screen. Like the amount of hours, and then you talk to Dave about what he's up to and it's like, oh, it's great. You know, he's excited. You know, he's just a wonderful, for me, he's a wonderful example of someone who's just chasing the kingdom with the ways that he can, with just serving the kingdom. You see, you meet people who chase the kingdom rather than chase the wind and their life have meaning and purpose and fulfilment. There's a sense of, of the eternal being expanded. And oh, they're a pleasure to be around. 
And I guess I just want to inspire all of us. So really, God, I sense what God wants me to offer this morning is just an opportunity to consider what are you chasing? You know, the world will, will see us um, or will try and lure us to like chasing the next thing, whatever it might be. And we can go on this chase from headland to headland. But Solomon worked out that, in fact, there's, there's something deeper that we can live for. And probably the best way to land this message is by looking at a relative of King Solomon, King David. You see, David was a man after God's own heart. And in Acts we read, And David served the purposes of God in his generation. And I think that's what it means for me to chase the kingdom. I just want to serve the purposes of God for my generation in the unique way that I can. I can't do it like you can. And you can't do it like I can. See, God has given us all the uniqueness that needs to be celebrated. And there's a myriad of ways that we can serve the kingdom in our generation. So what does it look like? My question that I'd like to offer you, maybe to pray and journal about this week in your times with God. How can I serve the purposes of God in my generation? What does that look like? What does that look like in the body of Christ? Now, every time that you serve the body of Christ, you're chasing the kingdom. You're seeking to give yourself to something which the world might see as worthless, as Bonhoeffer says. Why are you going on Sunday morning to church? Why are you going there early and setting up the chairs or doing communion? or what? You could be out going surfing. What the world sees as worthless, in fact, God sees as incredibly valuable. Because there's no greater reality. You know, every person on this planet will realise the greatest reality. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, right? Every person will recognise the greatest reality is the kingdom of God. So let's chase the kingdom. Let's see the kingdom of God come and his will be done in our families, in our workplaces, in our hospitals, in our, in our, in our sports clubs, in our schools, in our companies and businesses. And let's give ourselves to that which will truly satisfy, truly satisfy. You know, Jesus, um, he chased the kingdom. <laughs> he chased the kingdom. You see, chasing the wind is seeking to serve ourselves. We're chasing the kingdom is seeking to serve God and his agenda. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did what he could do. Jesus did. He served the kingdom with what he had to offer himself. None of us could have done that. But he did that for each one of us. And he inspires me to, to give what I can. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming into our world and not to be served, not to serve yourself, but to serve us and to serve your Father's kingdom. And as we share this time of communion, this bread and this cup, Lord, might it, may it be a, a profound reminder, Jesus, of the way that you sought to chase the kingdom or the way that you were willing to do what you could do for the sake of your Father's kingdom. And I pray, Jesus, that you would inspire us in our own lives too, to do the same. Show us what it means for each one of us to not give ourselves to chasing the wind, seeking meaning and fulfilment primarily through the things of this world, but what it means to, to chase your kingdom and to find our deepest sense of meaning and life and fulfilment from the greatest reality that we can embrace, which is your kingdom. We thank you for the, for the invitation that you offer us to enter your kingdom through your sacrifice, Jesus. We, we are in awe of you, in your life and the way that you gave up your life for us, in your resurrection and your invitation to each one of us to go with you into your eternal kingdom and to be co-workers with you in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.